grace. Noah's Ark is about grace. It's a bit difficult to see, isn't it? Hmm. It is the beginning of Lent. This is the season where we remember Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. It too is an act of grace. Suffering is an act of grace. I know it's hard to see Noah's Ark as an act of grace, but it is. More on that in a minute. First up, worldwide Christianity has shifted. I think we blinked and we missed it. It shifted from the West and into the global South. Latin America, Africa, India, China, but not Australia. Like the term the West, the global South isn't exactly geographical. And it's in these countries that we see Christianity growing like wildfire. By all estimates, more than 60% of us Christians now live in the global South. And it's expected that in less than 20 years, it'll be at least 75% of us will be in the global south. Only 100 years ago, at the turn of the last century, it was just 18% of Christians lived in the global south. Why such growth? Why such a shift? Well, to quote the Christian Post... This is what they said about the whole thing. It is their belief, that's the global south, their belief in biblical authority that is producing an exuberant faith and the desire to share that faith with others around the world. The global south proudly and honestly sits themselves under the word of God. Take the Bible and they sit themselves under it. Where we in the west are just so keen to put ourselves above it, aren't we? reinterpreting it to serve our own needs, desires, wants and immoralities, where they sit under the word of God, trusting it for what it is. Now, this kind of theology that is so prevalent in the West is what we call liberal theology or revisionist theology. And in this place, it's where we take, where the West has taken the famous words of the snake. Did God really say that when they look at God's word? Did God really say that? My point is this. We in the West, we are continuing down this path of Cain. We boast about our achievements, remembering last week's message. We boast about what we buy, what we make, what job we have, how long we live and so on, and how quick we can get our Amazon deliveries. That's amazing, isn't it? I can get some tomorrow if I want, if I order right now. Hmm. We in the West have legalised the killing of unborn babies. We euthanise the elderly. We fund wars. We've even legalised sexual relations with animals. Yes, that is Spain today. We must repent, my friends, for history is repeating itself. All of this while those in the global south are quietly and humbly protecting the first great blessing from God. If you remember, the first great blessing from God is to bless the family. The husband and wife coming together, making order out of nature, building a home, having a family. Quietly growing in number, making no fuss, simply and honestly walking with the Lord. And their story looks a lot like the descendants of Seth that we talked about last week, Adam and Eve's third son, 
To them, Noah is born. To Noah, God says, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. To us, God is saying, has said, will say, continues to say, go into Christ and I will make you righteous in this generation. Did you know that the word ark is only found here in Genesis and one other place in the Bible? In the story of Moses. The ark in the story of Moses is the word used for the basket that saved Moses from the evils of Pharaoh and drowning in the Nile. The ark is an act of grace. The ark is God reaching out his hand to save his people. The ark is who we, the church, are supposed to be today. We are supposed to be the ark reaching out the hand of Christ to save a generation from the flood of our times. Today, we must struggle with this story of Noah. We must struggle with a story that destroyed a generation. Yet it's my hope that through this story, we will see the hand of God. A hand that is not committed to arbitrary destruction, but to giving his creation, his people, every opportunity to know him and to walk with him. The ark is an act of grace. God saving those who humbly walk with him. Well, we better pray because we're going to pick this up a bit. There is a lot to be challenged with as we walk through Noah. We're going to have a look at the text and I'm hopefully going to wrap it up in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love. Help us be challenged by your text, but not left in that place. Use this to wake up a generation in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 begins this way. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. A text opens not with God speaking directly to us or to the people who are reading this or to Noah, at least not yet. Instead, this is the narrator speaking. The narrator is preparing us with a seed of hope, a seed for what lies ahead in verse 11. The earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both of them and the earth. Now these three verses really challenged me. They, they, they changed everything for me. For me, the story of Noah started out as a fairy tale, a great opportunity to do beautiful crafts with the kids. How lovely is that? We can do the animals, we can have them marching side by side, we can have water and oceans and clouds and a sun. Isn't it just a lovely story? Of course, we protect our children from the more difficult side, a protection that I'm not going to leave you with this morning. We're going to do it as it is. But it's also like the story of um, David and Goliath, isn't it? That's another great Sunday school story. How David, this young boy, slays Goliath, this great big giant who was menacing the people. We never tell the children that David cut his head off, stuck it in his backpack and went around for a couple of weeks showing everybody, do we? That's not such a good story. But that's how it was and how it is. All right. 
Noah, for me, started out as a fairy tale, a great opportunity to have fun crafts with kids. Eventually, it's become anything but fun. As I began to see this story as a kind of an oppressive force on my soul. How could a loving God do such a thing? You've read it. You heard the text. How could God just wipe these people out? I mean, how can he be so mean and horrible? Surely he could have done it a different way. Where's the forgiveness? Where's the grace? When I speak like that, I sound a whole lot like Job. That's a story for another day. And then I read these three verses, realising that the same basic word is used here to describe the situation on earth, the violence, the ruin, the corruption. That's what the word is using here. It's the same word used to describe the action of God. The violence becomes God doing violence. The ruin becomes God ruining. The violence that they promote, the violence that they do is the violence that they will get. And this changed everything for me. This is not God arbitrary wiping out a people. He's simply giving them what they're asking for. He's simply continuing in them what they have begun on their own, and that is to do violence. But to God, but to Noah, God speaks differently. Have a look at verse 18. To Noah, God says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. This covenant, this promise of God, it's not some afterthought. Noah didn't have to prove himself first. You know, this doesn't happen after the flood. It happened before. It's reminiscent of God reaching out a hand to Adam and Eve, even though in their disobedience they ruined the garden. God clothed them before sending them out. It's a bit reminiscent of, of, of God giving Cain a mark. So people wouldn't kill him for his violence. God giving him something before sending him out. And here he gives Noah an ark before sending him out into the flood. And then he tells him in verse 19, you to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. See, it takes male and female to make more. Is that not obvious? You wouldn't think so today, would we? But we're going to get to that. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of flood that is to be eaten and to store it away as food for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now, I skipped over a stack of detail. There is lots of detail in the story of Noah. We're actually covering three chapters as we do this short message this morning. In there is how big and how wide and tall the ark is, how the animals are going to come in, what they're going to eat, where to place them, what they're going to do with the ark. It's all there. But then there's so much also left out, isn't there? Where did Noah build the ark? Don't know. Where did he get the skills to build the ark? We don't know. Who helped him build this humongous boat? We don't know. How long did it take to build it? We don't know. Where did everything fit? We don't know. And who shoveled all the poo? We don't know. The emphasis, of course, is on the work of God in designing and providing the ark for Noah, for his family and the animals. So what now? 
Now we have an entire chapter detailing the experience of gathering up all these animals. And on that note, I should mention my son Sam is forever the smarty pants. Takes after his dad and drives everybody nuts. If the dove went out and didn't come back, how can we have doves today? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, we're going to find out in the text that there were seven pairs of doves. Who knew? Let's have a look. Jump down to chapter 9, verse 12. God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a promise for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. That's it. God has promised never to do this thing again, at least not with water. He does promise to do it again with fire. Next week. Let me wrap up. It's so easy to inject current happenings, current events into this text, isn't it? Yet we must remember that while we humans continue to fall into the traps of sin, while we humans, we continue to build ourselves up, we become full of pride, and we do so at our own peril. We abandon God, and we'll get exactly what we seek, destruction. Why are we doing it again? Do we learn nothing? Surely the rise of the global south is proof of where we stand. Our UK bishops move to bless sin. Who speaks against such things? Not we in the West. The global south. 60% of us Christians standing up and saying no. Our own diocesan website with its flags that have simply appeared out of nowhere, flags of so-called intolerance and inclusion as just virtue signaling. They fail to promote the gospel and proclaim Christ crucified. What we need, my friends, is a circuit breaker. We need something that says, no, stop. But what? We already have one. The cross, the empty tomb, the moment the empty tomb was discovered, everything changed. Peace became possible. Forgiveness became a reality. Grace became tangible. The empty tomb, it is an ark for all of those who choose to follow Christ. An ark that takes us beyond the grave. An ark that will soon restore us and the good creation. Remember God's word. He said back in verse 13, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is full of violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. The final and complete destruction of the earth is coming. And we would have to be blind not to see it. Children see it. 
I hear it in their voices, see it in their faces in the schools day after day. But there is grace in this. Those in Christ will be saved. Now, I'm personally excited and a bit scared about the future. Almost everyone I talk to is kind of full of anxiety about the happenings all around us. World War III is already in progress, we are told. I don't know if you've seen any of the commentary on Bing's latest AI. You've got to limit your queries to five questions because it falls off the rails. It is so depressed. It's, they call it like a depressed teenager, and it just goes insane. Why do you think that is? Well, they've trained it on the data from the last few years. What do you think is going to happen if you read all that news and you read all that stuff we're putting out there? What do you think the result's going to be? The writing is on the wall for the AI. The writing is on the wall for us too. To Noah said, God said, go into the ark because I have found you righteous. To, go, to us, God says, go into Christ and I will make you righteous. That's all I want us to get from this story this morning. Go into Christ and be made righteous. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love. We pray for a nation that's hurting. We pray that the story of the cross, the hope, the joy, the peace that is in you, that is in us as we come to you, we pray that this would be shared. We pray you would multiply our efforts. You would grow this community, that together we would proclaim your name. We would be the ark to our friends and our neighbours. In Jesus' name.